Hello and welcome to Brick and It, Bellway's very own podcast which gives you a unique insight into careers in the property building industry and life at Bellway. We'll be getting to know the Bellway team, debunking some stereotypes about working in the industry and giving you the bricks to start building a career in construction and housing. I'm Laura Bell, Group HR and OD Manager at Bellway. In this episode, I'm joined by early careers expert James Austin. James is highly experienced in the emerging talent and recruitment sector. He knows what it takes to make a job application stand out from the crowd. James will be sharing his insights advice to get you on the path to a career at Bellway. So let's start bricking it. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Please, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Laura. And thank you for inviting me to, to this podcast. So my name is James Austin and I work in early talent or emerging talent or also known as future talent. And essentially, that is the recruitment of school leavers or people leaving university, essentially, probably from the ages of 16 up to about 22, 23. And I work with lots of different organizations ranging from a variety of different clients and sectors and industries and helping them promote their early talent campaigns and uh, building early talent recruitment projects and things like that. So that's a little bit about me. And I live down about an hour or so from London. And uh, I've been working in early talent for about the last sort of seven or eight years, something like that. Fabulous. Sounds like an interesting career choice. Now that's all great, but I'm breaking it. We'll really like to get to know our guests. So can you tell me what's your go-to afternoon snack? It can be sweet or safe. Yeah, I know. It's a good question. So fortunately, this is a podcast, so you can't see me, but I'm, I'm probably at the age where I've got to try and avoid <laughs> mid-afternoon snacks. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to creep up on me. I don't know. I, I quite like a flapjack, a nice sugary. I know it's not, not, not good to admit, but... Um, this morning, rather, I was at a, a client and before they before we left, I went, went into the canteen and they kindly gave me um, some lunch while I was there. They gave me a honeycomb smashed cheesecake. Um, I, you know, surely that has got to be the greatest uh, contribution to society. That was absolutely phenomenal. So, um, yeah, I don't know who came up with that, but I think they need to be knighted somehow. That's uh, that would be my that would be my <laughs> go to my go to point for a mid afternoon snack. I think that sounds pretty fantastic. I have to say. So this. This podcast is all about unique insights and I'm really interested to hear about a bit more about your career personally. So can you talk us through some memorable moments, particularly any real career successes or any epic failures? Yeah, I think the, um, the career successes is probably a short list uh, to refer back to. Failures probably a little bit longer. I think success is quite an interesting thing to talk about. I think when you're uh, you know, success means something different to everybody, doesn't it? I think when you're, or from my own personal experience, when I was younger and first started working, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to university and, you know, for my formative career after that, it was all about um, kudos and job title and building a team. And being very honest, a lot of it was geared around how much I could earn and getting a car allowance and things like that. And I think as you get older, which I'm starting to, success means different things and, and what you enjoy and, and what you get from your work means different things. So I I think I've kind of reached the point now that, you know, going to bed on a Sunday night and not having that awful Sunday night feeling and enjoying the, you know, the, the company of the people that you work with and what you do and, and feeling that you're adding value to something um, is probably now where I derive kind of success or happiness or, or things like that. Yeah, it's a lovely answer. Thanks. Come on, what about epic career failures? Because we've all been failures, there. Failures, I know, so many to list. I don't know if we've got time. Do you know what? I was, I was thinking about this earlier. I don't know if there's one failure that stands out more or less than any others, but I think there's a, a regret 
that I had. So when I when I left university, I think being fair, I didn't really apply myself, uh, didn't really find out where the library was and probably until about the final year. Um, and I didn't even think about career choice or potential work experience or opportunities or anything like that until I'd kind of finished my time at university. And I think there's a really important lesson there that, you know, everyone, whether, and this is absolutely as relevant for school leavers as it is for for university leavers, is that yes, you're there to attain academic qualifications and hopefully a degree or A-levels, whatever it might be. But I think at the same time, you've also got to start thinking about a career and career choices as well. So I think a regret of mine was that you know, I didn't try and get work experience. I didn't get a summer placement. I didn't have anything on my CV that helped me navigate and transition from academics into into employment. So I think it's not necessarily a failure, but I think given my time again, I'd probably manage that a little bit differently. That's a really interesting point. So essentially what you're saying is it's not all about academia. It's more about social work and life experience in general that, that helps you to get jobs. Absolutely. And I think if you look at early talent and what you're looking to uh, to identify, it's very much based on, on potential and capability rather than with an experienced hire when you've got, you know, you've got experience behind you, you've got, uh, you know, you've got, you've got things that you can talk about. Uh, when it comes to early talent recruitment and, and when you're first starting to apply for roles, it's about the potential and the value that you can add to the business. Sure. So did you know what you wanted to do when you finished university? Absolutely not. No. Um, and I think probably being honest, uh, it took a good five, six, seven years before I was able to kind of carve out some form of of, of kind of plan or, or direction of travel. So when I first left university, I started working in sales, which uh, it was a great grounding, but probably not particularly strategic and in focus. Uh, and then kind of fell into recruitment as everybody working in recruitment tends to do. And obviously, you know, to manage to develop a career from that point onwards. So, James, where did your interest in early careers and emerging talent start? So, a number of years ago, I worked in the city up in London and I was responsible for the delivery of a number of, of sort of recruit, the recruitment management of a number of big uh, investment banks and, and sort of financial service clients. And when you're looking at recruitment, inevitably, 95% of any organization's recruitment is going to be classified as experienced hire. So that's people who've been working for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and have have got an established career. Naturally, only 5%, roughly, of an organization's recruitment is ever going to be emerging talent or early talent. And I think as a result of that, all the focus, all the attention was directed at experienced tire and early talent was always the sort of poor country cousin. It was kind of brushed over. It never really got the focus or attention that it probably deserved. And I just thought it was quite an interesting area to evolve into. Even though it's only a small proportion of a company's recruitment, it's often where the innovation happens. You know, if you look at what's happening in early talent at the moment, there's loads of really exciting technology coming into it. There's artificial intelligence, there's lots of new processes and innovation. And and although it's only a small proportion of recruitment, I feel it's where a lot of the, it's kind of like the tip of the sword uh, in terms of what's, how, how recruitment processes are evolving. So I love working in Oletown. I think it's a really interesting and exciting place to be. And it's also nice giving back as well, supporting, you know, people leaving school, going in, into college, university, whatever their, whatever their sort of choice is. It's, it's, it's a nice, nice space to operate in. Great. So I guess all that in mind, 
Is there one thing that you're most passionate about in your role? Again, I think it kind of links to the first thing, you know, you know, the, the, the role that I have, we, we work for lots of different organisations and managing hundreds and in many instances, thousands of applications. And I think, you know, inevitably diversity and equality are, are words that are, are bounded around, you know, the boardroom table. Um, but I think for the first time in a long time, organisations are actually sitting up and, and taking a responsibility for, for changing that. And I think if, if companies want to drive different results when it comes to the applicants that they're attracting and onboarding, there are a number of, there's a responsibility almost for them to, to take to take tangible steps. And what I really enjoy doing is working with clients and, and the, the schools and colleges and to a degree universities to really promote all of the various different pathways into employment. And they're increasingly more and more. And I think that's where, that's where my sort of real passion lies. So James, I know you work across the whole sort of sector at all different levels and you do a lot of work in particular with the house building sector. Yes. What are the current trends that you're seeing in the early career sector in general? And is there anything that's specific to house building? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really interesting space. I think there there are two perspectives here. There's one from that of the employers and, and hiring organizations. And I think there's also that of the of the candidates and the people that are applying for the roles. So we're in a bit we're in a bit of a perfect storm at the moment. There are a number of factors that are affecting early talent recruitment, namely the economy as one. Obviously interest rates specifically from the house building and construction sector are naturally starting to affect um, you know the performance of those organizations. But I think there is a generic trend that we're starting to see that organizations for years and years and years have traditionally not necessarily ignored, but underinvested in their apprenticeship programs. And we're absolutely noting that organisations are still continuing with their graduate programs, but the investment and the growth is absolutely being driven into the apprenticeship market. Um, and some of that is because of things like the apprenticeship levy, which is effectively a, a tax on larger employers. And, and organisations are wanting to utilise that levy and, in, and and increase their spend on on apprenticeship programmes. The cost of going to university and the cost of accommodation is possibly steering some people away from going to university and looking at alternative routes. But from a from a candidate's perspective, it's a really interesting marketplace. So. Every year, we're seeing more and more candidates registering and wanting to go to university, but the supply of university places isn't going up at the same rate. So this year, there were approximately about 80,000 candidates in the UK that applied to go to university, but weren't offered any positions. If we fast forward the clock to 2026, it's estimated that that number is going to go up to a million candidates applying to university and only spaces for about 650,000. So you look at the sort of metrics and the numbers that effectively what that's going to mean is one in three individuals who are applying to university aren't going to be able to get a space. And they're naturally going to look to what else they can do. And apprenticeships is obviously a key route for that. And I think the other thing that I would probably point out is that I think individuals going thinking about further education and higher education have got to balance the areas that they've got a natural interest in studying, but also have a slightly commercial view of where there are opportunities in industry. So I don't want to be disrespectful of any degree courses or, or anything like that. But hypothetically, the growth in industry is in green energy and sustainability and engineering and cyber and media and digital and all of those really exciting things. 
Um, and that's where there's a massive shortage of skills. So if you go on going on to university and studying something that isn't really in demand, I think you've got to look at your employability when you come out of university. And I, I sit down and work very closely with a number of chief executives, HR directors, heads of early talent that are crying out for specific skill sets, you know, skill sets in the marketplace. But if we look at the people coming out of university, there's there's still that kind of shortage or, or paucity of, of of that skill set. So I think from a from a candidate's perspective, I think there's a real trick to kind of play forward the clock a little bit and understand what you can do to leverage and increase your chances of employment by looking a little bit more carefully at the area of study that you're going to go on to do. I think that's a really interesting point because I think as a as an employer, we're very much a case in point of that. Yeah. So we are ramping up our apprenticeships and higher apprenticeship vacancies. And I wouldn't say we were dialing down graduates, but we appreciate that a lot of the graduates that, that apply to us, they aren't in those roles that you mentioned. So engineering, digital, some of the, the more niche areas that are very much up and coming where we've got huge gaps. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's really interesting that we're all kind of seeing this and hopefully the message will get out to potential candidates that, you know, we're re- really keen for applications in these areas. So, yeah. you know, ha- have a long term plan please come and apply. Absolutely. And if you look at if you look at Bellway Homes and you look at the house building sector as a whole, you know, there's a huge amount of work that we're doing to promote gender diversity. And I, I know Bellway Homes is hugely passionate about that and, and ethnic diversity and social mobility, all of those kind of key concepts. There are about 40 universities throughout the UK that have got a built environment faculty. So that means surveying, commercial management, you know, project management, things like that. If you look at the the population of everyone in those 40 universities studying a built environment faculty, despite all of the work that's being done to promote gender equality and diversity and all the rest of it, the ratio of males to females is still three to one. So there's still so much more that can be done to promote that. But again, you know, looking looking at, you know, where there are opportunities uh, for people who are considering their career options, absolutely look at specific industries and sectors because there are a lot that are absolutely crying out for those those key skill sets. I guess on that basis, or well, sort of semi-linked to that, have you got any top tips for anyone who's crafted an application to work at Bellway or in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, and, and this this would apply to to any organisation, whether it whether it's in house building or retail or whatever it, whatever it might be. I think the the crux is to really understand the company that you're working or you're looking to apply for and, and work with. So a little bit of research, or even a bit more than a little bit of research, um, will really help distinguish if it's an organisation that you're wanting that you're wanting to work with. Do some research, not just on the company, but obviously go onto their website. Um, understand what their what their values are, what they're talking about, the way that they promote their organisation, you know, through that platform, but also for the sector as well. So if house building is something that you're interested in in looking at, you know, read up about, you know, planning and projects. And there's so much information out there that by having that slightly closer understanding of the organization is not only going to help you tailor your application and maybe alter your CV a little bit to make it a little bit more 
applicable, but I think it's going to help you when it comes to the, the latter stages of the interview process as well. So I guess from your perspective, it's pretty important to make sure that you tailor your application and CV to whichever role that you apply for. Yeah, I think so. I'm I'm not advocating that every time, you know, if, if you look at early talent as a whole, we see some of our clients, and I'm sure it's fairly similar with yourself, receiving 40 or 50 applications for every role that they have. So, you know, if you were to totally rewrite your CV or a letter of application for every role that you're applying for, that is very quickly going to become a full-time job. So I think there's a balance of utilising existing content and, you know, making a slightly generic frame for your CV, but then adapting and changing key parts to reflect the organization that you're you're looking for. So, you know, if there are key um, words or terminology that's being used um, from the employer that you're looking to work with, if you can reflect those onto your CV and adapt key components of your CV so that it really resonates with the recruitment team or whoever it is that's reviewing your application, it's absolutely going to help your chances, I think, as you progress through that process. Sure. You and your team will see thousands and thousands of CVs every year. Are there any common mistakes that people make when when submitting a CV or when writing a CV that you could call out here and give some tips? Yeah, absolutely. I think there there are a number of kind of key things that come to mind. I think length of CV is probably is is the first thing I'd say. I appreciate people first starting off in life might not have loads of experiences that they can refer to, but you know, try and keep it to a maximum of of two pages. You know, this is your this is your way of of sort of selling yourself and your what you've achieved to your future employer. Um, but it's got to be relevant as well. So you know, we don't need to know your sister's favourite colour. We don't need to know that you went camping in the Isle of Wight over the summer holidays. Um, but anything that you can put on there to help promote you and I suppose help you um, stand out from all of the other candidates that are applying is absolutely going to be critical to success. I think other things that might be relevant to talk about, it, it's the kind of the oldest adage, but you know, make sure you go through a spell check, do a do yes. a grammar check on the CV. If you are if you're promoting your your communication skills and that you're great at attention to detail, but you've made spelling mistakes or grammar mistakes on your CV, it's not going to put you in the best of light. Um, And there's loads of programs that you can download and spell checks and all the rest of it. So there really aren't any excuses for for making kind of silly mistakes like that. So yeah, make make the CV relevant to the application. Um, Try to avoid the copy and paste approach to every single um, application that you do. Sometimes we see CV and um, I really want to work for company X, but they're actually applying for company Y and they've just utilised this, you know, they've just copied the same text um, from one application to another. Um, but yeah, make make it relevant, make it pertinent and, and use it as a way of um, promoting yourself over, over potentially other applicants. Bit of a controversial one here, Go on then. but this is my, my personal CV bugbear. What is your view on CVs with photographs? Ooh, okay. So um, I would avoid it. I don't know. Does that is that the right answer? You're nodding. Yes, absolutely. So more and more organisations are wanting to make decisions based on what you can add to the business and, and 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 the organisation, or sort of um, you know anything that can affect that affect that decision or unconscious bias um, is absolutely going to to change that. So yeah, avoid photos, um, avoid frilly borders or anything like that. Um, it, keep keep it plain and um, and relevant to the application. 
Good stuff. So we've talked about mistakes and, and common pitfalls, but what makes a CV and application really stand out from the crowd without frills and photographs? I, th- I think it kind of goes back to the point that we made a couple of minutes ago about making it relevant to the organisation. So um, if you have got a natural interest in, in house building or, or surveying or project management or, or you know, land acquisition or whatever it might be, if you can, if you can get that across on your opening statement or your, your personal profile or anything like that, um, it's going to help you stand out. As we mentioned a few minutes ago, organisations are receiving 40, 50. Some of the clients I work for will receive literally over 100,000 applications for a graduate role or uh, an apprenticeship um, programme. So you've got to, in, in, a, in a professional capacity, make you stand out from everybody else. So if everybody has got the same level degree or if everyone's got the same GCSEs or A-levels, anything that you can do to give yourself that that kind of step up is, is going to be critical. So companies won't rule you out if you don't have work experience, but any any opportunity that you've got to get work experience on your CV is an absolute, absolute tick. I think for a lot of young people, money and what they earn and a bit of pocket money and all the rest of it is, is, is critical. But don't get hung up too much on getting work experience that pays 20p more than another job down the road. Um, if you can get work experience that's relevant to your, to your career pathway um, and get a brand or a name on your CV and you're able to talk about that, it gives you an experience that you can relate to in an interview, again, it will absolutely stand you stand you in good stead. Great, great tips. We know how competitive it is out there. And as you mentioned before, how many applications some people get for just one single role. So getting a job in itself is an amazing achievement, but I guess it doesn't stop there, particularly in early talent. So what is your advice for fostering a growth mindset and seeking continuous improvement opportunities once you're in a job role? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think um, I think there are kind of two, two elements to this that I would probably recommend. So when you first start off in, 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 in a job, you've left college, you left school, you left university, naturally, you're going to be quite light on experience. So the more things that you can get involved in, the more the, 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 the wider number of areas that you can kind of throw yourself at and get experience um, is absolutely is absolutely going to benefit from you. Uh, you're absolutely going to benefit from. Um, the other thing that I would probably recommend is that in any working organization, you're probably going to identify some people who might take shortcuts, knock off early, not necessarily give 100%. But in the same way, there are going to be other individuals who put in that extra 5% and, and work the extra mile. Um, and I think... If, if you are able to identify somebody maybe two, three, four years ahead of where you are or maybe in the role above where you are, I think the importance of identifying not necessarily a role model or not necessarily a mentor, but somebody who you can, you know, ultimately we're all uh, products of our environment. So if you can, if you can get with somebody that, that you can get those positive, those positive habits from, um, it's absolutely going to step you, you know, put, put you in the right, uh, right, right frame for development. So yeah, a num- number of different things, but yeah, there's a, there's a saying you can't, you can't soar like an eagle if you're scratching with turkeys, which isn't, <laughs> it's not, it's not the most beautiful image to to uh to, to kind of relay but but i think that that that's absolutely true and if you know the 
you know, I'm full of these cheesy sayings today, aren't I? And there's an, there's another saying as well, which is, you know, if you if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in, you know, you need to take yourself out of that room and and, and kind of um, orientate yourself with other other people as well. So I think, yeah, when when you're first starting off, um, really look around you, make sure you you get with the right people, identify somebody that you can learn from. It's always easier to learn from other people's mistakes rather than your own. So I think you can really fast track your career by um, by identifying key people in the business and, and learning from them and, and sort of almost going under their wing um, and, and sort of benefiting from your from a development because of it. Great. I just want to go back to something you just said about mistakes mm-hmm. because one, one of the things that I really want to draw out is about making mistakes and the fact that it's going to happen, it's okay, we've, we've all been there. I guess from your perspective... How how do you feel that candidates are set up for you know the the possibility that they might make mistakes when they when they start their career? I think making mistakes is the most important lesson in life. You know, you you only learn from your mistakes. You don't learn anything from your victories, um, and companies know that. You know, so it's absolutely fine to make mistakes. It's absolutely fine to mess up, and you know, you, you, that's that's where you learn. I think so long as you do learn from those and don't repeat it, that's absolutely fine. But I think any organisation is going to recognise the fact that if they are bringing on early talent and they're developing individuals at the grassroots level of their career, then absolutely mistakes are going to be made. And I would almost encourage it because that's going to f- that's going to speed up your learning as, as you move forward. Couldn't agree more. So I want to move on and talk about all the incredible work that you do with the 5% Club. But I guess for the, the benefit of those listening to the podcast, what on earth is the 5% Club? So the 5% Club uh, is a charitable organisation. Um, it's made up of about 800 now, I think, something like that, 800 uh, employer members. And it's called the 5% Club very simply because the, the kind of the founding belief is that an organisation that forms part of that, uh, that the, the charity um, has a goal um, to have 5% of their employees on an earn and learn or an apprenticeship program, graduate program, um, et cetera. So some of the clients that we work with are FTSE 100s. Um, some of the clients that, or some of the organizations that are a member of, the, of that um, group are SMEs and things like that. But there is a, a common goal to really promote um, earn and learn schemes um, in the workplace. It's a fantastic organization. Um, and every year they hold an audit where they put a number of metrics uh, in terms of the size of early talent programs, the way they support early talent programs through a, through a process. And companies are either awarded a, a bronze, silver, uh, or gold achievement. Uh, and I think I'm right. I'm thinking Bellway are a gold yes, member. Yes, we certainly are. Yeah, that almost sounds like we're trying to get that in there, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, it's an amazing plug. Yeah, absolutely. But it's an amazing organisation, and and I, I sort of work uh, in a capacity to kind of to support a lot of what they do. But it's a great way to promote early talent schemes and promote all the great work that organisations are doing collectively and continually um, to raise awareness of you know, apprenticeship programmes, degree level apprenticeship programmes, etc. So, so that's what we do there. there I think there have been a number of things in current affairs, in the news, in the media over the last couple of years that have really caused organisations to sit up and go, actually, we need to do things differently if, we, if, we're, if we're serious about taking on a more diverse a diverse workforce. So whether that be greater gender or greater social mobility and, and working with um, schools and students and children from socially deprived backgrounds, whatever it might be, um, a lot of the work that we do 
within that organization is to promote and um, create equity and equality uh, for everybody applying um, for the roles that they are. So yeah, fantastic organization and really enjoy the work that I do with them. Great. So I guess you're kind of in an ambassador role with the 5% Club, is that right? Can you tell me a little bit more about that and, and what sort of impact that has on, on industry? Yeah, I mean, I don't have all the stats to hand, but if you look at the proportion, if you look at the the clients or the organisations that form their membership, um, they, they now form a significant part of all of the early talent programmes or the, you know, if you look at the total number of apprentices uh, within the UK workforce, um, a significant proportion of those are from those member organisations. So um, some of the role that they they do is to work with government and, and lobby parliament in terms of how the um, the apprenticeship levy is utilised. Um, a lot of it is a is, is, is a very simply banging the drum and raising awareness of different schemes that the employers are offering um, in terms of in terms of their early talent campaigns. I think on the whole. Organisations are very good at promoting graduate programmes, and they've they've traditionally engaged with universities in and around the country and, and further beyond. But again, apprenticeships have been traditionally not ignored, but they haven't had that same level of investment. And if we look at some some stats that came out from UCAS uh, last year, um, over fifty percent of individuals that applied for university in twenty one and twenty two also registered an interest in an apprenticeship programs, but about a third of those received zero information um, about what an apprenticeship program is, how to apply, when to apply, what it involves, etc. So again, a lot of the work that we do is working with schools and colleges, um, promoting all the various different pathways and opportunities that school leavers can have if university isn't the route for them. And increasingly, that that's gaining traction and momentum uh, within the UK. Okay, thank you very much. It's been really interesting to, to hear your perspective on things. What's your biggest advice for crafting job applications at the early career stage? Yeah, I think I think do your research. Um, I think that's 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 the key thing here. You know, whether it be you know we we look at we receive applications for roles, and you know the the position is shall we just say in in Newcastle, and they're living eighty miles away, but aren't prepared to relocate. So, you know, it, little things like that, understanding the culture of the organisation, I think is, is hugely important. Reading up a little bit about the industry, increasingly, you know, at the moment we are in National Apprenticeship Week. So there's loads of information out on public domain. There's loads of websites, loads of organisations promoting a variety of different uh, apprenticeship programmes and and understanding, you know, what, what they have for offer and, and the benefits of that or the, the differences between an apprenticeship route or a graduate route. Um, but yes, yeah, specifically around Bellway um, or any any house build or anything within the house building sector, just I think just do your research, um, understand what it is on offer, how you, you know, if, if it's something that you're interested in applying for, think about how you can make your application stand out from others. Speak, speak to somebody within a Bellway office, utilise your network and, and really try and, I suppose, yeah, I suppose kind of, you know, do what you can to sort of stand out from the rest. And a lot of that is going to come down from the research that you conduct, the, the way that you tailor your, your CV, any work experience that you can get is an, is an absolute must. And I think the other thing that I'd probably add 
is that it is a competitive industry and it's a competitive marketplace and it's only going to get more competitive. So if you do apply for a position within Bellway or any other organization, don't take it personally if you aren't successful. Don't get despondent about it. I work with students and, and no students and they will literally be applying to 20, 30, 40 different positions before they're successful. That's not down to their lack of experience or maybe they're just not the right candidate or not the right fit. Um, and I think the the real thing to take away here is, is not don't take that personally. It's an absolute trait of the industry. Um, and to a degree, you have to play a little bit of a numbers game and manage that law, that law of averages. You know, I, you know, there will be some people who apply for a role and they get the first position they they apply for, but it's absolutely not the norm. Um, and don't get despondent if you don't get the first, second, third, or even fifth opportunity that you apply for. Great advice. So don't give up. Do your research and I guess practice, try and get some work experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if, if you look at the recruitment process, whether it be for Bellway, for Bellway Homes or any other organisations, most organisations offer a fairly similar process. Um, and that, that process varies depending on whether you're going in for a level two, three or a level three apprenticeship or a degree level apprenticeship or a graduate programme. But you can probably, with a little bit of research, understand what that process is going to look like. So again, the more preparation that you can do, the better you're going to perform when you do the real thing. Um, there are lots of websites out there where you can do practice practice interviews or practice video interviews. You can, it sounds stupid, but role play with your friends, whatever it might be, the, the more you build your confidence in that interview environment, the more natural you're going to be. You're not going to fluff up. You know, the, as the same with everything in life, the first time you do it, you're probably not going to be very good at it. On the fifth or sixth time, you're going to feel a little bit more confident as well. So any preparation that you can do, use your family, use your network, use your teachers, uh, use your, you know, most schools these days have got a really good career services team um, and have a nominated teacher or somebody who that's responsible for for, for helping guide and, and counsel. So any any um, any support that you can get, grab it with both hands and um, yeah, and good luck. Thank you. Well, speaking of support, I feel like I need to say that working with careers advisors in schools, we've just launched our shortlist me page. Right. So that's shortlist.me. So we've got a range of tools, interview practice, tests, um, and some tips with CV writing. And, and I suppose it also gives a flavour of what we're looking for behaviourally from a person. Because like you said before, you know, great if you've got some work experience, but if you don't, we're really looking for potential. So what you, what you could bring a bit more about your personality. So all of that stuff's on there and we're sending that through to all of the careers advisors network to make sure that students have got access and can practice so totally agree give things a go use your network and do some research really important just to finish off where can listeners find out a little bit more about you and, and connect with you if they want to um, well, they probably won't want to. They've probably heard enough from me. Um, if people do want to, they can find me uh, on LinkedIn uh, by my name, my name James Austin. Um, but I think what probably what's more useful is to kind of direct them in other 
other areas where they can sure. download a bit more information. Um, UCAS is a, is a fantastic resource to go to. Traditionally, I think UCAS was always seen as the route into universities. That's absolutely changing. They're doing more and more work in the apprenticeship space uh, and driving driving intelligence and resource, you know, across the whole across the whole whole piece there. So absolutely go to, to UCAS. There are a number of other apprenticeship websites. You go to National Careers um, Office. The government um, have got a very good website um, providing intelligence and information all around a whole variety of different, all the various different levels of apprenticeships and things like that as well. So again, a little bit of research, utilize search engines and Google, you know, to your disposal, um, and you'll very quickly um, understand and, and discover more around what you can do to not only learn more about the various opportunities that you've got, but the things that you can do to leverage your chances and, and, prom- and sort of, you know, promote your chances of, of finding successful employment. James, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I feel like you're a very good podcaster. Maybe you, you should have your own you podcast. Okay. Maybe a spin-off. Maybe. Who knows? Let's see. Watch the space. Thank you for listening to Breaking It with Bellway. Thanks to James for joining us and sharing his insights and advice. Head to the show notes for more information on the different early careers options available at Bellway and most importantly, how to apply. We'd love to have you on the team.